You're listening to Reach Teach Talk with Nat Ding. Welcome back to another episode of Reach Teach Talk. I'm thrilled because I am back in the studio, the actual living, breathing studio uh, for the first time in, gosh, two plus years. Um, when COVID hit, uh, everything kind of went back home for all of us, and I was recording episodes from uh, my own office and through Zoom, and now it is just amazing to be back with the headphones on, the microphone right here, um, and I am looking at our guest on a screen that you all can't see, but uh, it certainly makes me feel like I am connecting with somebody across the table from me, not just um, through the screen 3,000 miles away. <laughs> and welcome back, uh, everybody, and um, I'm thrilled again to not just be back in the studio, but to explore a topic that's uh, that kind of recently experienced a resurgence. Um, in the past couple of days, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about a school, a boarding school in northwestern, the tip of northwestern Massachusetts, the corner uh, in Williamstown, Massachusetts, called Buxton School. And Buxton School began this year with a zero, so zero smartphone policy. And um, th what they did is they decided uh, based, it, it seems like it was kind of triggered by a certain situation, but certainly been in the conversations at the administrative level for a while now, um, to take away the smartphone. And even the phrase taking away something makes it sound like, okay, they're, they're, they took something away. It almost sounds consequential, almost sounds um, pejorative or almost punishing. Yet we know that France, for example, took away the smartphones uh, in their schools up through primary and middle school level. Uh, back in 2018, we know that China, Israel, um, other countries around the world have made policies taking away smartphones from their daily school uh, um, interactions. This is a boarding school, and, and Buxton is a boarding school, and Buxton is a school, therefore, where the taking away of the smartphone um, is a 24-7, has a 24-7 impact, um, not just in the classroom, but in the, um, you know, the touch points, the uh, you know, sidebar experiences that students have um, both in and outside of the classroom, the sports field, theater uh, on the stage, um, also in meals, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and in the dorm life and all the social life that happens in a boarding school. So all of this makes uh, Buxton a very ripe kind of test uh, or, or let's say um, kind of lab school for the, uh, the, the, the impact, to look to measure and gauge the impact of um, smartphone technology in the relational elements of school life. So yes, we can talk about its impact on the academics, but as we all know, this podcast, Reach, Teach, Talk, is about relational teaching and, and how relationships are central to the learning experience, the teaching and learning experience. And in this way, how have smartphones impacted um, the relationships between students and teachers, students and peers, um, and parents? with this new policy. So uh, without much further ado, I'll introduce our associate head of school, John Kalapos, who is freshly from the oven, having baked ginormous chocolate chip cookies. Anybody in his proximity is lucky to be uh, around him and smelling those chocolate chip cookies. It is evening over in Williamstown, Massachusetts. It is, uh, the sun is just about set here in Los Angeles. John, it is wonderful to have you, and I'm really excited to just have a deeper conversation about what you, what Buxton has, has observed with this policy. But before we start, 
Can you explain, I mean, I just kind of gave a, a 30,000 foot view of what, what your policy was. Maybe explain a little bit of the context behind it and what the policy actually is. Yeah, so um, yeah, it's great to talk to you about this. You know, I spent a lot of time thinking about this and talking about this on campus and it's, it's really exciting to sort of like share it with um, like a larger education community. So thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'd say we approached it sort of as like a mindful technology policy, right? Like there's not, it, it would be it would be wrong to say that smartphones don't bring value into our everyday lives. You know, like we have like they, there are there are tools that we use. I like, you know, I still have a smartphone, but it's something that we as a school decided the there was less like they brought more harm than good in our on campus community. And basically our policy is that like you may not have a smartphone you know like i have my my dumb phone here let me pull it out of my pocket or maybe it's actually sitting right over here but you can sort of see like this is my work phone you know like it calls it texts like that's all it does um and that's because like at boarding school like something we think is really important is sort of the idea that like we're connecting with each other in these like really genuine and vulnerable moments and also like that connection with each other is paramount to anything else, right? Like we're, we're a community of about 100 people and we really want to get to know everybody. Um, but we also want to be able to get in touch with each other when we're not physically in the same space. So you can call, you can text. Um, and then more importantly, we want to think about like, well, what role does tablets have in this? What roles does smartwatch have? In this? You know, it's like it, it starts to ask all these other questions. Um, and we actually kicked those questions to a student committee, like to a student committee. And they were the ones sort of like with I with them um, develop policies for everything else. So like we as a faculty sort of planted the flag as like we don't believe this to be something we want in our community. And the students sort of got us along that journey. That's fascinating. So you had the students involved in the decision. Let's take a step back. I'm curious about whether there was any kind of precipitating event or any sort of, um, yeah, that, that catalyzed this, uh, this urgency in a sense to, to change your smartphone policy. I mean – there there was the there was there was a couple right and so we i think any teacher who taught through the pandemic is will sort of like think back to pre-pandemic times of a like thinking of like a more of a different student than the students we were teaching during the pandemic right like it's just like everything sort of went online for months at a time we we were fully online from march to june and then we opened in person from september September of 2020, I believe. And we were running a hybrid school. And so even with that, you know, we were all very connected to our screens and very connected to our devices. Um, and in sort of the fall and early winter of uh, 2020, we started to realize how much time our students were spending on their devices and sort of the social effect that that was having on the school. Like we were seeing lower participation in the arts. We were seeing just like, it was harder to get students to come to meals. And when they were at meals, they were sort of just like on their phones, like, like scrolling on TikTok, headphones in, as opposed to having like, you know, silly, fun teenage conversations. Um, the moment that sort of catalyzed for a lot of other administrators was like, there was like a physical altercation on campus. Um, it wasn't like by any means a fist fight, um, but it was, you know, two kids yelling at each other. Um, and another student was live streaming it. And that was being live streamed into all of our dormitories, right? And so we as a faculty, whereas like we'd usually just pull the kids aside and sort of talk to them, then had to also go into the dorms and see sort of how this message was spreading in a way that like the spread of technology and like the, like the instant information 
of knowing everything all the time and anyone you've ever met being able to reach you at any time, we felt isn't actually valuable for the type of education we're trying to provide here. Like we think it's important that you can intentionally reach anyone you wanna reach, but that communication can and should be intentional. It shouldn't be sort of like my phone buzzes, I look down, oh, my friend from home is like, wants to talk to me about something totally relevant to like the awesome thing that's happening in front of me right now. But it's your friend at home who's calling you or, or texting you and therefore it's your friend and therefore you're, you're probably very uh, caught between, right? Like you're in your classroom, but you also have your friend texting you and you know, where does my loyalty lie? I'm going to respond to my friend and then I'll, I'll regain focus immediately. I'm sure, you know, with what's going on in calculus. Like I can, that's a, that's a good example of getting in the head of, of, you know, a 17 year old student, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So thinking about the word intentionality, which you've used, um, I, I, I'm struck by two things that, that you shared right there about the impact of smartphones. One is the um, <laughs> intentionality to me is like a freezing, a freezing of time. In order to be intentional about something, one basically just pauses and hopefully reflects before making a decision on how he or she is going to, um, what, what that next step would be. So to be intentional is to be mindful, to be focused on what that next step is going to be. And that takes, take a beat, taking a beat, taking a beat to reflect, taking a beat to, um, to, to pause. So one of the things of the two that, you, that stands out to me that you noticed and that your faculty noticed was there was, there was less, um, less intentionality in terms of decisions being made. And I'm wondering about how, how, do you, how did your faculty view that impact on learning? Um, how does you know, intention um, and taking a beat impact learning, the learning experience? And how did you see that impacted with the use of smartphones, particularly during the pandemic years? Yeah, I mean, I, I think every, you know, most teachers would, would agree that like, we have sort of seen like a participant, like a participant's loss of attention and like a constant, like you're not only competing with the phone, you're com competing with all these other like virtual or physical communities that these students are a part of. You're competing with, like these t these like tools and social media networks that are designed to take people's attention and have them pick it up 30 times a day right like so in terms of like learning and especially at a high school level i believe it's really important that like you sit and wrestle with an idea for like 20 30 40 minutes right like it's like you know i'm teaching freshman english right now we just closed out a book by george saunders which is you know having student I have students in that classroom really wrestling with some like with ideas of authoritarianism that, you know, you could so easily find like an Instagram equivalent to, but it's not near like the conversation isn't as rich because the students have to make those jumps themselves. They have to put together sort of what they have seen and like connect it to the text. And you just get like it's felt to me sort of like the discussions we've had last year versus the discussions we've had this year are just so much more robust and so much more interesting as a teacher, right? Like I'm not, I don't think like everyone's phone doesn't light up and all of a sudden I've lost my class. And there's nothing I can do. Like if I've lost my class, like that's my bad. Like I asked a bad question. I need to own that as a teacher, as opposed to like, you know, a, a, like, you know, just something that I have very little control over. Right. And I, and it, it's like, my students are more present and my, classroom management that I have to do is so much more like traditional and it's honestly way more fun. You know, like I, I enjoy going to work way, like way more because of like, you know, I'm, I'm like having to like deal with poop jokes from 14 year olds as opposed to, you know, a like, 
like cyberbullying that's happening right in front of me and is visible, invisible to my eye, you know. Can you give another example of, um, I, I, first of all, really well um, articulated, uh, really good articulation of the feeling of teaching when the students are engaged in what you're teaching and not distracted. Um, so that was, I love that. Uh, what does it feel like, or what do you, what, what are students generally doing if, when they have their smartphones in the classroom? Like what, is it simply just texting or, you know? Yeah, so something that I noticed was like the need for constant simulation, right? Um, and that is, so you'd have students plugged into their headphones, right? Like running AirPods, like under their hair, under their hats, like playing music in class. And then also like when they are not so engaged with the material, instead of like sitting there and being bored, which is a very useful skill, um, like just taking out their phones. And then you as a teacher are sort of confronted, like, am I going to police these students, right? Like, am I going to like, burn sort of like some of my social capital that I have to like either take their phone away, stop class and like ruin the conversation that everyone else is having? Or like, am I just going to sort of like let this kid be disengaged for four minutes? And when you're making that choice again and again and again, it's honestly like it's exhausting. It's like not fun, um, which like sort of leads to like an interesting anecdote, which is that like when we announced this, the students were like, well, what if you just enforce the rules that are there? And it's like, we tried that. It didn't work. You know, like, like, like these, this is not devices that like both adults and teenagers like really have the ability to exercise the self-control necessary to engage in like interesting, thoughtful education, you know? Because as you said earlier, like smartphones are designed to hit the dopamine to, uh, to, to distract. They're designed to, you know, the endless scroll, you know, every, every deliberate decision made by, you know, developers is in order to, um, um, you know, commercialized, commodify uh, attention, right? Um, there's a great book uh, that Johan Hari just released uh, this summer about attention. I'll, have to, I'll, I'll throw that up there in the description of this episode uh, for anybody, any viewer and listener who wants to, to see it. But it's, it's an incredible um, deep dive into the, uh, the ways that our attention is being diverted through uh, smartphones, social media, uh, et cetera, technology. And what you're talking about in the classroom there, um, the reason why I asked the question about what is it, like what do, what do students find, um, you know, on their smartphone when they're uh, in the classroom, the reason why I asked that question is so that people, listeners can get a real understanding that it's not just that they're texting. It's not just that they're like, um, you know, communicating with friends or parents. You know, as you said, like there's the earbuds and there's listening, there's watching Netflix, there's listening to podcasts, there's, um, you know, just scrolling TikTok, right? Like there's so many different channels. It's all, I've always used to say that it's like putting a TV back in the day, putting a television on every student's desk with like a billion channels and saying focus on, you know, pre-algebra. So, right. So, but, but what I, what, what I want to actually ask you next is about um, what you just shared about how you as a teacher, your relationship with your students what I'm hearing you say is that your relationship with your students has changed um, this fall due to this policy because what I'm hearing you say is uh, you no longer have to play cat and mouse with the students the way that you did before. You're not, um, you know, when the student said to you, well, why don't you just reinforce the rules more, you know, you don't have to do that. You don't have to deal with that as a teacher. And if we're talking about the teacher's prime job, which is to educate and to teach and to engage students and to, to really motivate um, students through using the content as the shared, um, 
you know, tool to do that. The idea of not having to worry about being the police in the classroom is, it, it, I can only imagine it opens up your mind as a teacher to different ways toward content delivery, different ways to approach the, you know, the, the, the curveball question that students inevitably ask, different uh, emotional responses to grappling in the classroom, right? Like it frees you as a teacher. And I wonder if it's almost been like the boiling lobster, like the lobster in the lobster pot, where like over the years, as technology has made its way in the classroom day by day, teachers kind of drip, 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 the temperature goes up a degree every month, but it's only when you actually remove the device from the classroom that you realize how much as a teacher your time has been spent and allocated toward this cat and mouse uh, relationship with students. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, totally. And I think it's important to also like turn it back to on the teachers as well. Like we are also constantly connected, right? Like I like I last year would keep my smartphone on the desk and I would see messages come in and I'd see, you know, like my Instagram notifications and all these, like, you know, these like, and now it's like when I, you know, I leave my house, I forward the calls from my like personal number to my work number. And then like, I see my notifications twice, like all of my laptop, I'll see notifications twice a day, but I'm like really able to engage with my students. Like, in the classroom, in those moments in between classes, right? Like we're not all just like, oh, I have a free moment, like look down, right? And, you know, it it does, I, I think like the analogy of like lobster in the pot feels really apt, but also like when I leave campus and I look around and like, you know, we're in a, we, we're in a town with a college campus, there's like tons of young people walking around and I just like see them like walking around, like looking down, like, and I'm like, this is, this feels like a black mirror episode. You know what I mean? Like, why would you, why would you willfully do this? You know, like, it's like, like we all like on campus, we're all like looking up, like engaging with each other. And then you leave and you sort of like see how reliant everyone else is. And it's like, whoa, I'm really happy. This isn't a part of my workplace. You know what I mean? Have you heard that at all from any student? I'm just curious, like, honestly, has a student come to you and said, you know what? I actually appreciate this policy because of what you just said. I walk off campus. There, there are students. Yeah. yeah, there are students that really appreciate it. Um, there are students that are that are and like a lot of students are pretty ambivalent about it, right? Like like it's it's interesting to see sort of like classic teenage rebellion and apathy come out um where they will say, Yeah, no, I, I like I don't mind not having my smartphone and this year is better, but it's not because like we have smart we don't like our smartphones are gone. It's just like a different year, you know, and it's like well, there's one big thing that's different. So, like, you know, like, um, but it, it, it's it's almost like they, the conversations that I have about it, they feel very, like, either thrilled about it or this is fine and, like, I'm willing to do it. Um, it's kind of a lot of the conversations I have with students. Excellent. And you're saving a lot of future chiropractor bills <laughs> by this policy for those next uh, tech neck. Um, Hey, John, I'm, I'm curious now also about parents and because we're in this anxious age where um, the, the knee-jerk reaction, um, I, I understand from parents, would be, but, but wait, you know, something horrible could happen at Buxton. How will I know? How will I be able to communicate with my child? So have you had any of that? And what's the answer to that? And what, what has in general been kind of the um, unexpected or predicted obstacles toward implementing this policy with parents? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we made this decision in consultation with our board and as a faculty, we didn't make this decision in consultation with parents. And that was, 
I think a misstep, right? Like I, I think like we should have involved parents in this decision a little bit more. Um, our fear was that among bringing parents in, we wouldn't be able to make a unilateral um, like removal of smartphones on campus. Like there would have been lobbying for having times and spaces and places for exactly these reasons, right? Um, which is that parents want access to their kids. Um, I've been having these conversations for almost a year now with parents and other you know students and whatever, and I've just like yet to hear a compelling argument about like why you can't use a not smartphone to get in touch with your kid. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yes, it is more cumbersome. Like, that's the point, right? Like, it's like your kid may not be carrying this device because it doesn't fill them with dopamine. Like there is no, like the screen is black and white. It's e-ink, you know, like it's not fun to use. It is a tool as any other tool is meant to exist. It's And so, we have parents that are frustrated that their kids aren't carrying their phones with them all the time and they don't have 24 hour access to them because the, this phone like is designed to be used as little as possible, you know, like that. Is, and so we have students leaving their phones in their rooms. We have students losing their phones for days and they don't care. Right. Um, and so it's switching from, you know, a kid having a bad moment at boarding school, which happened, and immediately calling their parent, the parent immediately calling the school and it being this whole like hullabaloo, as opposed to like a kid having a bad day, like finding someone on campus to talk about it, sort of resolving it, talking it through, like putting it into the context and then, you know, telling a parent later. And I get probably about like at least three or four calls, texts or emails a week, which is like, hey, tell my kid to call me because um, I haven't heard from them in a week. And as someone who works at a boarding school, like, I think that's great. You know what I mean? Like, it's like we're running a program here. Absolutely. And like, 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 that's like what we want. We want our kids to be present here, like in this community. And we like, we're not trying to cut their access off from anyone. It's like, they're making the choice to be fully present here. And like, that's a choice that like, they're going to have to learn how to do and set the boundaries that they have with their communication and their technology. John, this is awesome. Um, first of all, for anybody who's just listening to this podcast and not watching the video version, when John held up the phone that every student, every faculty member and staff member has, they're called light phones. It looks like if Amazon Kindle developed a, uh, a smartphone, this is what exactly it would look like. <laughs> and it's that grayscale, definitely not addictive, no bright colors whatsoever. And, and it's just the bare minimum designed. It's the anti-smartphone. It's designed not to, as you said, John, to, to produce dopamine experiences in, in the students. The, the, um, the other pushback I would imagine Buxton School admin and faculty may have received, John, is, um, but what about this idea of preparing students for the real world? The real world requires integrated technology in every aspect of their lives. Has there been any response to that that you found you know, compelling and that you've used yourself? Yeah, I mean, I like I, I'll go back to the, my initial response, which is that like there's like very few problems that one cannot overcome with a non-smartphone and a computer, right? And I think that like you know, I I point my because I like we have every teacher sort of has different ways of communicating this, and an argument that the students hate is like, well, when I was a kid, we didn't have smartphones, right? Like the students absolutely hate that argument. Um, and I, you know, fair, you know, don't, fair. Don't, um, too bad for you. <laughs> the like, the argument like that I have sort of been employing this whole time is like, find me something that like a smartphone does that a dumb phone and a computer can't do, 
Um, and there, there are things, right? There are, like have been compelling arguments, you know, like the glucose monitors, um, things like that. Like, like, yeah, it's like for sure you should have a smartphone in your backpack for that. I agree. Um, but I think like this, the notion of preparing people for the real world, there's a study that shows that, you know, when people, if you send three people on the same path, right. And you give them an iPhone with Google maps and you say, get to this location and then you take away their phone. You say, now do it again. You know, some large portion, like 80% of people can't do it. But if you give them paper instructions, it's like 50 to 40% of people can do it. And if you give them verbal instructions, like almost all of them can get to that location. Right. And I think, you know, we don't live in a day and age where like we're taking away their phones when they're not at school. You know, like we, we run a program eight months out of the year, the other four months they're using a smartphone. They're going to be like engaged with the, like the technical and like youth based conversations of technology. And for us, it's like, it's, it's like almost, feel, and I say this and students roll their eyes at me, but it's like giving you the gift of like learning how to do things without your phone because everyone is going to know how to like, achieve these like means with their phones but like you are going to have a different set of tools in your toolbox that is going to set you aside from all of your peers whether whatever you want to do next whether that be in college whether that be in any in anything you know like in the trades anything like that and i think another really important thing is that our students are learning how to strike up like organic weird conversations in the mo in like the the like downtime moments that i think we as adults have started to forget how to have and like every teenager is forgetting it have, right? So like when I'm in public, like I'll just talk to strangers and people are like, that's a little weird. Um, but like, it's because like, that's what I reach to as normal because like so much of my day is that when I'm sitting around doing nothing, either I'm like thinking, I'm processing or I'm striking up conversations with my students because like we all are living in that same place. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. And uh, actually, uh, Johan Hari in his book is called Stolen Focus, by the way, highly recommend it. Um, but he talks about a very similar experience when he gave up his smartphone and uh, he gave it up for three months or six months um, and just lived out in Provincetown, uh, Cape Cod. And he found himself just like really, really desperately, uh, you know, clinging to human connection, human conversation with strangers, with anybody, you know, who would listen to him. But finding that like, A, it was hard to break into other people because uh, they were glued to their phones, their devices. Or and or when he when he would have a conversation, it would be this awkward, you know, kind of stilted conversation like like, you know, what you're talking about. So um, definitely that, too. I'm wondering, you know, so you're the associate head of school, John, at Buxton School, uh, boarding school out in Williamstown, Massachusetts, northwest corner of Massachusetts. And your school has been uh, identified uh, in this article in The Wall Street Journal that came out just two days ago, um, November. I think it was on November 6th. And. It is a blueprint in a sense, or let's just say it's, it's, a, uh, it's a photograph of a school that um, changed their policy and changed their policy in a significant way, in a way that other schools might be desperately hoping or wishing they could, yet there is a lot of um, headwinds that they, they, they would face to do it. So you guys have done it. And here we are three months now in month three of this year. What can you say to anybody listening who is a school administrator, school leader, um, who's really keen to do, to implement a policy like Buxton's? What are, what are some, some things that you would put as really important for them to consider? And what helped you guys as you rolled it out? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think like we are in a pretty unique position to roll this policy out, right? Like we are a boarding school. We are pretty small. Um, we're pretty like most of our major decisions go through the faculty. And that's how, you know, like we make a lot of our decisions through consensus um, and we have a background of progressive education. And so sort of making bold decisions about pedagogy is something that like we feel empowered to do based on our mission. So like all of those things sort of set us up um to take a step back in like what we want in order to like achieve our goals of progressive education so like i, I like i want to like say like i don't actually know that this would be the best policy for every school but it was definitely the best policy for my school um and i think that like the advice that i would have to other administrators is that like if you if this is something that's interesting to you and like is something you want to pursue um i think you should do it you know like it feels like we have sort of like found the secret sauce that like has made like it's like bringing the community together in a way where like you see all of these like sort of small upsides to it um barring if you can't do it starting to think about how technology enhances your classroom and how technology like takes away from your classroom right like i think we have this idea that tech is like the you know this great thing i remember like when i was a student um, you know, it's sort of like, like, oh, we're like, like, we're moving to use these tools. And like, they're sort of clunky. And like, ed tech, I think is like, a lot of snake oil in that tech, you know, like, you sort of have these like, ideas that like, what makes teaching fun and gratifying is connecting with students and seeing like, you know, there's no, there's nothing any teacher says, that's like, the mind blowing moment, like, I don't care how many, you know, like, feel good movies you watch, it's like, every teacher knows it's like, you say something a thousand times and then the thousandth and first times it clicks and like that's what feels good right and like that's about the connection you have with your student and so if you can like break down those barriers in your classroom of like getting yourself in front of your students and like you know getting your students to connect with you like start there um i think with our policy like we saw the biggest impediment was like the thing in between us right and so like we removed it but I think in a, like in a public school setting, in a private day school, like you're going to be like, you're going to be playing cat and mouse games with phones. So communicating sort of your values and like, that's what we ended up doing from the time we made the announcement till today. And like when we're, we're like in our admissions process, it's like, we're, we're not saying like, these are bad devices that we're communicating our values in such a way that's like, these do not help us live up to our values. And so we don't want them to be a part of our community. Like, if you want to be a part of that experiment, we like wholeheartedly welcome you into that. And if you don't want to be like, if your phone means more to you than being part, like than being part of like an in-person robust community that's like focused on like project-based arts, like all these things that like I could like you know wax poetic about our mission statement forever is boring. Um, like that, like then like if your phone means more to you than like that, like that's okay. But like I, that's like not what I believe. So like there's, you know, a thousand other schools in the world. I'm like, I empower you to go to one of them, you know? Yeah, of course, of course. Independent schools being uh, each of them independent uh, communities uh, that hopefully parents understand when they're applying that there are all different types of independent schools and Buxton being one of them. But I got to say, John, that this conversation just uh, brings to mind so much of, of what resonates with relational teaching and 
uh, what we talk about here on, in Reach Teach Talk, which is really about the connection between teacher and student, and student and students, and schools and parents, and schools in the outside world, the classroom in the outside world. And you know, certainly the pandemic has made those uh, borders, those boundaries, far more porous. Yet, I love, I'm, I was drawn to uh, this conversation because what Buxton School has done has been able to maintain a healthy, porous uh, boundary between school and the outside world without putting up a wall and also without just letting it be free reign, free range. And it, coming out of the pandemic where so many mental health issues uh, are, are based on, you know, isolation, the impact of long-term isolation on, on teenagers, on adolescents, boys and girls, um, the, the loneliness that comes with that, the social media um, influence, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, Instagram, TikTok, social media, or whether it's uh, just overdoing it on video games, um, just that blurriness of what's, uh, what are really truly interactive experiences and relational experiences and what are just occupied, what, what's just occupying our time type of experiences, um, you know, avoiding being bored. You mentioned boredom earlier as an asset, you know, something, you know, a time in our lives to, to, to actually appreciate being bored. Um, and by the way, another great book is called The End of Absence, and which, which is absolutely just basically a book about boredom. Um, but it's not a boring book. It is amazing. And it's a great book to have in your bookshelf because uh, so much of what you're sharing, John, is, is, you know, acceptance of those moments in life where, you know, we are forced to reflect. We're forced to, um, to, to just take, take that beat and then to act with intention. And clearly that's going on at Buxton in a way that's, uh, you know, in, in, impacted by this, this new policy. Um, before we, we wrap up this conversation, is there anything that hasn't been brought up or anything that you wanted to share um, you know, or any question or any comment that you might have as a kind of concluding comment? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think like something that I, I think has been really valuable that is um, sort of gets missed in the larger discussion about all of this is like how, like, I think, and going back to boredom, right? Like, I think, I think back to like my teenage years, and I think back to sort of like some of the like best and worst ideas I had came from when I was bored, right? And I think that like some of you, like, those are both really incredible teaching moments. And I like, I really, really like, I think that is like one of the most valuable things is like, I would so much rather talk a kid through a bad decision they've made then sort of like watch them like willow away and like mediocre entertainment you know what i mean like that's like easy right and so like that's something that like and or like a great you know it's like we, i like stumbled upon like four kids building a fort in the woods the other day and i was like this is awesome keep doing this you know like and they're like yeah we we're bored and i was like sick you know um so i would just like as much as it sounds weird, like leaning into that boredom um, is really important. And I think like has a really important space in um, like all of our lives. I don't want to just say education. Like, I, I, yeah, anyway, that's, that's what I would Let's let's leave. We will conclude this conversation on on that topic, on that theme of boredom and, and the value of boredom and how I mean, I just think the connection is fantastic, John, because, you know, the first thing that one might think about when uh, starting a new school year with a policy that is taking away 
what is such a key part of, of our lives um, immediately could lead to, oh, I'm going to be bored. I'm going to be bored at school this year. This is going to be just so boring. And yet what you're saying, <laughs> those four guys in the woods building a fort, like, are you kidding? That's so great. That reminds me of my childhood. Certainly it reminds me of, you know, when I was in high school a million years ago, the just, we didn't even have the option or the temptation um, for technology. We didn't even have like the internet. Um, but you have that. You're not depleting these students of the opportunity. You got Wi-Fi, you know, you've got your laptops. You've got, and they don't have smartphones in the classroom, and they don't have smartphones in the dorms, they don't have smartphones in the times of proximal interaction, which you speak so well about the importance of, of those moments and honoring and appreciating those moments as best as we can. So I'm um, truly, truly, truly John Calipos, Associate Head at Buxton School. It has been an absolute pleasure. And thank you, by the way, thank you for um, this conversation. Talk about multitasking because you focus in this conversation the exact same time you're baking these incredible chocolate chip cookies. And maybe someday technology will evolve to such a way that like you can pass me one of those cookies through the screen uh, from 3,000 miles away because I'm sure they smell amazing and I'm sure they're going to taste even better. So thank you. I mean, that's like the whole Willy Wonka ideal, right? It's um, <laughs> absolutely the Willy Wonka ideal. Fantastic. Uh, but yeah, it was great to chat with you. I, you know, ha happy to talk about this and yeah, love, you know. Love what you're doing and happy. Like, thanks for spreading the ideas. Absolutely. And by the way, anybody listening, just look it up. Just Google the Wall Street Journal article. Um, just, you know, it, it was I, it was either uh, November um, 6th or 5th uh, when it came out. And, and if you if you check out their website, it's not just an article, text heavy. It's actually got some really nice pictures as well of Buxton School. And uh, I'm curious. I mean, John, I'd love to come out and visit you guys just to take a look at the school in person next time I'm in the Boston area, uh, Massachusetts. So. Yeah, yeah, you're more than welcome anytime. Um, we're about as far as you can get from Boston while still being in the States, so, you know. It's okay. I'll take a drive up to you. You're more than welcome. <laughs> Route 2, Mohawk Trail, all that. Head, head, keep, yeah, hit, yeah. Green, hit Greenfield and keep going another hour. Exactly. <laughs> hey, fantastic talk with you. And, again, thank you so much for giving up part of your evening. And uh, I look forward to uh, spreading the word through this, through Reach Teach Talk to our, our audience here. And, again, thrilled to be back in the studio. I'm thrilled, thrilled, thrilled. Armin, our producer here giving a wave, um, seeing the LED logo in the back just makes me feel like, okay, it's, it's, it's a homecoming of sorts. So again, John, thanks for being the first uh, Back to the Studio uh, interview. You've been listening to Reach Teach Talk with Nat Damon. If you'd like to recommend a guest for a future episode, you can send your suggestion or questions to nat at reachacademics.com. <laughs>